Fantastic. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, let me just pray, and then we're going to start with today's uh, service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your words, which gave us the wonderful hope in Jesus that He is coming back and suffering will end. So help us to have the right attitude when we go through suffering, knowing that you are in charge and this is your true grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Great. I recently read a couple stories about um, suffering Christians in the country of Laos. The first story is a person called Pastor Yen. His house was burned down by others because of religious persecution. Now, the second story is a lady called Mei Mei. She said, I cannot go back to my village. Every time I go, someone calls the police. You see, after becoming Christian, uh, Mei Mei shared the gospel with five young people, and they all accepted Christ. Brilliant. But because of this, they are expelled from the village by their own parents and the head of the village. The young believers now stays with Mei Mei in exile at a village six hours away from her. Mei Mei said, A lot of times I cry because of guilt. I feel like it is my fault that these young people are suffering. What can we say to people who suffer constantly for just being Christian? And if we are Christian, not in Canary Wharf, but in Meme's village, do we have the resource to face such intense persecution? Apostle Peter faced this exact challenge. First Peter was his letter to a bunch of Christians exiles in the first century. Now, these people got kicked out of Rome and went, uh, got squeezed by society all the way to the forgotten border towns, verse 1, to the elect exiles scattered in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And if we read through the whole letter, we find that these Christians, they suffered badly. Now, imagine this for daily routine. Just before sunrise, these Christians got up, and worked as slaves for way more than eight hours a day. Now, their boss does not appreciate them. He bullies them for no reason. Chapter 2 talks about that. And when these people go home, neighbors shout at them from across the street, not to say hello, no. They make nasty comments about them. Chapter 4, verse 6. And when they finally go home to spend time with their family, there is disharmony. Marriage wasn't going so well. Chapter 3 talks about that. And as they go to bed at night, they still have to worry about persecution from local authorities. After all, it was the authority who kicked them out of Rome in the first place. And not to mention that the constant battle they have with sin is to try to live an obedient life to Jesus. Chapter 4 talks about that. What can we say to people like that who suffers constantly for just being a Christian. Now, today's passage has the answer, and it's an important one for us to learn, not only because that we can use what we learned here today to comfort other people, um, but also when we do go through suffering in the future, we'll have the resource for it. We'll be well prepared um, to ride out a storm. It is wise to put on the life jackets before falling into water. So what did Peter say in his letter? He said, suffering is God's true grace 
stand firm, and be glad. That's, that's very surprising, isn't it? That we can be glad even through suffering. But this is exactly the secret that Peter had when he went through 30 years of intense suffering himself. Now, he gave three reasons to be glad about even suffering in today's passage. First, be glad about who we are. Second, be glad about what we have. And thirdly, be glad about what's to come. Be glad about who we are, what we have, and what's to come. Firstly, be glad, be glad that we are elect exiles. Christians are elect exiles. Verse 1, to those who are elect exiles. Then verse 2, he gave the definition. An elect exile is a person whom God chose to obey Jesus, living a life that is very different from the rest of the world. It's pretty much just like an exile in a foreign land. Now, of course, while all Christians are elect exiles, we must remember the ultimate elect exile, Jesus Christ. Now, he was the elect of all elects because he wasn't just elected to be one of God's people. He was elected to be king over all God's people. He was also the exile of all exiles who didn't just got kicked out from Rome to a border town, nor from one village to another village in Laos. He actually left heaven to this sinful world. No one was more far away from home than Jesus. And as the ultimate elect exile, he also received the ultimate suffering. Although perfectly innocent, Jesus, the elect exile, was persecuted by everybody when he died on the cross. He gave up his life to open up the only way to heaven so that sinners like you and me can be chosen by God to be brought back to him. Jesus is the only reason why we can go back to God. And I think that's why Peter said that we can be, we can be glad about suffering. Because if the world treats Christians like they treated Jesus, if the world treats Christians like elect exiles, it means that in the world's eye, when they see Christians, they actually see Jesus. This is why we can be glad about if we receive the same treatment from the world. Now, let's try to understand this by playing a little game, okay? I'm going to um, describe something or someone, and you're going to tell me two things. Firstly, uh, try to guess what it is or who it is. Uh, Secondly, you're going to try to tell me um, how the world would generally react to this, okay? Uh, Question number one, it's an animal crouching, sneaking up towards you, sharp teeth, big, massive claw, orange with black stripes, what is it? Tiger. Fantastic. And how do the world, how will people generally react when they see a tiger? Fear. Anything else? Run. Yeah, run. Or push someone over towards the tiger and run. <laughs> that would be very cool. Yeah, but that's just, yeah, generally people fear and run. Okay. Okay. Question number two. Fantastic. You're doing very well. Uh, question number two is an, uh, an elderly lady in an open top car. Very, very posh accent. Flat palm, rotating her wrist, smiling to everybody. The queen, exactly, the queen. And how would people generally react when they see the queen? They wave, they cheer, they bow. If you're millennials, time for selfie. Hashtag chilling with my queen post. (laughs) That's generally how people react to the queen. Okay, one last one, right. Um, A loving person. Claiming that we are not in charge, 
but God is. Humbly warns people that judgment is coming. Patiently asks people to repent from sin and believe the gospel before it is too late. Who is this? Jesus? Or was it Pastor Yen? Or was it Mei Mei? Or was it any Christian who tried to share the gospel? Or John the Baptist? And how did the world react? The world crucified him. The world burned his house. The world kicked her out and made her in exile. You see, when the world cannot tell the power from Jesus and his obedient followers, they will treat them the same way. And if we are on the receiving end of such treatment, even though, even though it will be very painful, but be glad because it confirms that we belong to Jesus. We are one of his. Now, there are some people who believe that Christians should not expect suffering. Um, I think it's always dangerous to think that we can be like Jesus, but not get treated like Jesus. Now, here in the UK, we are very fortunate to live in a society where it's uh, free to worship. Uh, We don't have persecutions. Uh, So we should be very thankful about that. Being an elect exile doesn't mean that we try to go out and look for suffering in order to confirm that we are elect exiles. It doesn't happen that way. But it does mean that we shouldn't be surprised about suffering. If we follow Jesus, we should expect suffering. Whether it's external persecution, whether our internal struggle with sin, and if we live our Christian faith at the workplace, when we share the gospel, we just live a different life. Don't be surprised by rejections and suffering. Christians should definitely expect suffering. But what is our attitude when we go through suffering? Um, here in the UK, we like to keep a stiff upper lip uh, about suffering. So kind of like the movie, the, uh, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and you have a scene where the Black Knight fights with King Arthur, you know, having a massive sword fight, they're going at each other, and eventually King Arthur chopped off one of the arms of the Black Knight. And the Black Knight looked at it and said, hmm, it's just a splash wound, and continue fighting <laughs> with the other arm. Okay. Is that the kind of stiff upper lip attitude that we should have towards suffering? that we should be like a Stoic who endures hardship without showing any feelings? Or should we be like Terminator who might get wasted by bullets <laughs> and then just get, get up and just get on with the job without showing any sign of pain or emotion? Is that how we're supposed to deal with suffering? Well, Peter certainly didn't think so. Now, as a Christian, a Christian without emotion is nothing to be glad about. Which is why Peter stated tremendous reasons for us to be glad about in the next section of the verse, from 3 to 9. And that's the second point. Be glad about what we have, precious salvation. Now, God gave us plenty of precious gifts to be glad about. Verse 3, God says, uh, God gave us precious life. Verse 4 to 7, God guarantees precious inheritance. Verse 8 and 9, God gave us a precious relationship. And because of this precious salvation... Christians are actually rich beyond our wildest dream in every way possible. Now, let's just, let's just imagine how wonderful, comforting this, um, this must have been to the original recipients of Peter's letter. They were ostracized by society, and they lost everything when they got kicked out of Rome. But because of this precious salvation, they have everything. Verse 4, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Basically, better than diamonds. Yeah. They also suffer from bad authority, from bullying boss at work, 
to a discriminating dictator. But because of this precious salvation, they have Jesus as the perfect boss, who not only accepts all their faults, but took all the blames. Imagine having that as your boss. Um, they also suffered relationally uh, from strained marriage to nasty neighbors. But because of this precious salvation, they couldn't be more in love with Jesus. Peter's reminder of this precious salvation was both timely and spot on for the original readers. It's also uh, an important reminder for us as well. Because of this precious salvation, Christians are already rich. We have everything. So there's no point to struggle in this world chasing for something that we already have. We already have everything, which is why we can be glad about it. Christians, in some way, we're like Cinderella. Uh, For a little while, grievous, forgotten, waiting for the suffering to end. Now, some of us tend to be more pessimistic, and we constantly focus on the negative part of life. Last month, my wife and I researched into a trip to Disneyland, uh, and we were genuinely surprised by some of the comments that people make on the internet. They were saying, the weather was too hot, the queue was too long, the water was too bitter, the chair was too stiff. Complain, 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 complain. Honestly, if I try to guess where these people went just by looking at their comments, I would say these people just get out of prison instead of Disneyland. (laughs) But is that the same attitude that we have towards our precious salvation? What do we pray about? Are we pessimistic or are we joyful? When was the last time that we thanked God for this amazing salvation with a genuine smile on our face? We smile because our hearts being captivated by this. It's really, really joyful. It's amazing. Do we ever daydream about heaven? If not, then although Christians are like Cinderella's, but we're more like Cinderella with amnesia. The rescue is coming, and we've totally forgotten about it. And with the immense pressure from life constantly trying to make us crack, eventually we will deteriorate from Cinderella with amnesia to Cinderella with dementia, totally forgotten about our loved ones, cannot recognize Jesus, wandering aimlessly in this dangerous world, forgotten how to go home. And I say this with all seriousness. The joy that comes from thinking about our precious salvation is the best resource we have to combat suffering. We must remember, think about it, and be glad. And if we really treasure this precious salvation that we have, not only that we can deal with suffering, but suffering actually fuels our desire for it. The image in, um, in verse 6 and 7 is a refinery. And as more fuel gets pumped into this furnace, the metal glows brighter. So for genuine Christians, suffering is kind of like the fuel to refine our faith. Persecution actually has the opposite effects. When the world puts pressure on Christians and hoping that they will crack and they will stop following Jesus. But genuine Christians actually follow Christ even closer when they're being suffered and when they're being persecuted. I don't know what was um, Pastor Yen's thinking when he watched his house being burned down and reduced to a pile of cinder. But given that he is still in ministry, he's still following Jesus, I guess that as he watched the fire, he probably prayed to God for strength and for protection. And I guess every day, 
He longs for Jesus to return and ends all suffering. The house fire didn't destroy his faith. It has the opposite effect. It inflamed his faith. Suffering pushed men even closer to Jesus. Suffering fuels our desire for Jesus. Now, when we battle sin, sometimes we do feel like it doesn't matter how hard we try, we just cannot shake it. But this struggle also made us more dependent on Jesus as well, and knowing that he will come back and this struggle will end. And at this point, you may be wondering um, whether Peter is telling the truth. All these talks about living like Cinderella, waiting for rescue to come, sure sounds very much like fairy tale, doesn't it? Uh, and if Peter was not telling the truth, then what's the point of trying? Uh, it's stuff he said is just not trustworthy. And we might as well stop exiling, go back to the old way of life, and avoid suffering altogether, right? What's the point of being different if he's not telling the truth? So Peter makes sure that he's actually crystal clear with what he wants to say in the next passage, because it will either boost or crush his claim. And that's his point. And the third point is, be glad about what's coming, a guaranteed salvation. We can definitely trust Peter's claim. And these are the words that Peter used to describe the salvation in verse 10 to 12. Let me count it to you. Prophesied, searched, carefully inquired, indicated, predicted, revealed, announced, and preached. Eight ways of saying the same thing. And the main point is, salvation is guaranteed. It is guaranteed to come. The gospel is verified truth, not alternative truth. We can be really glad about the gospel because this is good news, not fake news. And because of the gospel, we can trust it, we can set our hopes on it, even suffer for it. Certainly they dream about it because it is true. Because it's guaranteed and it's true. Do you know what this means? It means that Pastor Yen and Mei Mei, or any Christian, they can be glad that they didn't suffer in vain. To obey Jesus and live differently, it's not crazy. We're simply living according to reality. And if what the Bible says is true, you also mean that not believing Jesus coming back, that is actually wishful thinking. That is living life based on fake news. It means that when we comfort other people, we don't have to say, hey, Jesus is coming back, fingers crossed, or Jesus is coming back to end all suffering, touch wood. No. We don't have to say that, no. We have the certainty he is coming back, suffering will end, and good days will come. Be sure about it. Be glad that it is guaranteed to come. The aim of the gospel is not just to get people to repent, and live a godly life. It's also about getting us ready for the rescuer. Jesus is coming back. And that's why we can endure suffering and still be glad about it. That's how Peter got through 30 years of intense suffering. May may end her story by saying, pray that God will give Christians the courage to live out our faith. Now, having gone through today's passage, we know how to comfort others and we also have the courage to how to live out our faith. Because of this precious and guaranteed salvation, Christians can be glad even in suffering. 
And if you never heard about the gospel before, why not talk to someone about it? So that you can also be certain that Jesus is coming back to end all suffering and be glad about it.